Teach us to number our days. This is the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so that's what we're doing, kicking all this year together. We're just trying to get new perspective on our journey around the sun this year, our 584 million mile journey that we're on. And how are we doing? You're asking, I'm sure. Some of you knew ahead of time, but we're making a little progress on our journey. So far, we've traveled for 49 days, 78.35 million miles. It's February 18th, 2018 in Atlanta, Georgia. You're doing pretty good. You're hanging in there. We're making some tracks. But now it's time to start asking that question. What do I want to see changed in and through my life on this trip? Because we're already covering some ground. And as we come back in April and have a checkpoint uh, message with this series, as we come back in the summer, we come back in the fall, uh, this diagram is going to start inverting on us a little bit. And we're going to realize, wow, another year has gone by. Did I realize the potential and the possibility that was mine, because I'm walking with God, and God can do a lot in my life and a lot through my life in a year. So it's awesome to be on the trip so far. We're gaining new perspective. We had an astronaut here last week who's uh, been in space for a while, helping us see from a different viewpoint, but you don't have to have an astronaut to do that. You just need to be paying attention. In fact, a few weeks ago, NASA gave us Another little glimpse into the perspective we all need as we number our days. This was the Orisis uh, spacecraft, um, and it was traveling out through the universe, took this photograph of Earth and Moon from 39.5 million miles away. Now, some of you I know in the back are like, okay, I'm not sure I know what's happening here, so we blow it up just a little bit for you because we can do that. Then when we put it back into the original perspective, it just helps us remember before we get, you know, up on our podium and platform and start to go into this big fanfare about our lives, we've got to remember that we're living on a tiny mode of dust suspended in a sunbeam, traveling 67,000 miles an hour around the sun on this journey that's going to take us all of 2018. And so the psalmist is saying, we've got, to, we've got to number our days. We've, we've got to keep remembering the perspective of life that is ours. And I think tonight what we want to do is we want to realize that we're not on a solo trip, but we're all in this together. The title of the message tonight is, This Is Us. You feel okay with that? Anybody know about This Is Us? Just as a footnote, um, if you didn't know, I'm pretty convinced that This Is Us has been funded by the makers of Kleenex. And it's swept around the nation. Some of you are feeling a little bit left out right now. You're like, I don't know exactly what they're talking about. Uh, you'll catch on sooner or later. But the message tonight is this is us. In other words, you're not going on this trip alone, and I'm not going on this trip alone. We are not going on this trip alone. There are seven plus billion of us going on this trip around the sun together. And we're adding to our number every single minute of the day. In our family, our extended family, we welcomed a new a little boy into the journey this week. Johnny Moses Yonker was born this week. 
at Northside Hospital. He's a little champ already, uh, born to Brett and Ansley Yonker, my niece and nephew-in-law. And so we added a passenger on our trip this year. You're like, well, I don't know if I wanted to add anybody because we kind of had it going the way we wanted it to go. You ever been on one of those trips where it was all perfect until you got that text, oh, by the way, Amber's going to go. And you're like, no, Amber's not going. That's not the way it was planned. It's not going to work out that way. If Amber's going, what's your next line? Then I'm not going to be able to make it. But I'm telling you, little Johnny Moses, he's on the trip with us. You're like, well, I didn't even know he was going. I know. A lot of people didn't know he was going, and a lot of people didn't know a lot of other people are going, but we're adding to our number rapidly as we go. I was thinking about it coming out of Northside Hospital this week when Johnny Moses was born. There are a lot of people in this hospital having babies. Anybody been to Northside Hospital lately to see somebody have a baby? I mean, you get a ticket, get in a line, get in a queue, say your hellos and get out of there because there's another family coming in right behind you. I checked out the statistics. 2016, couldn't get numbers on last year. 2016, 27,000 plus babies born at Northside Hospital. 75 new passengers a day getting on our trip around the sun at one hospital, the leading hospital for births in America, Northside Hospital. And the staff is applauding. (laughs) We appreciate your service. Hope we never need it, but glad to know you're there. In America, 4 million babies are going to be born this year globally. 140 million babies going to be born, 300 babies a minute being born on the planet. That's six Atlanta metro areas of population being added to our trip around the sun this year in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's a lot of people coming on our trip with us, and there's already a lot of people on the trip with us. It's not a solo trip. We're all in it together. And here's the kicker. At least half of the people on the trip with you, billions and billions of people on the trip with you, disagree with you when it comes to your deeply held values and beliefs. Aren't you glad you came this week? (laughs) This is us. And we are on this tiny, fragile planet hurling through space together with every reason to divide. But my question tonight is this. Is it possible at the end of this trip, and if we were just going to go to Rome, Georgia for the day, probably not that likely, but is it possible at the end of a 584 million mile trip that we could be more united at the end of this trip? Or is it a foregone conclusion that we are going to be more divided at the end of this trip? And what if the answer to that question depends on you? I was doing some of the work for this talk at one of my new favorite places in Atlanta, Oakland Cemetery. Anybody been there? Okay, a few people. Uh, historic, uh, landmark, incredible place down on the east side where all the cool cats live. Um, you can get a Brother Moto coffee while you're going to hang out over there. Um, down on Memorial, right down off downtown, right near the Capitol. And I'm sitting in there just 
chilling out and thinking and praying and studying uh, about this message that I've been carrying for today at our church. And I love Oakland Cemetery because there are some famous people buried there. And um, if you're like me, you kind of want to make the trek around the cemetery and you can find the grave of uh, famous golfer Bobby Jones there. I know a lot of you want to go and do that. <laughs> Thank you, one person. Everybody's like, I don't even know who that is. Um, just look for the grave with all the golf balls on it. You'll find it. But one of the greatest golfers in the history of the world if not the greatest, designed Augusta National Golf Course, just trying to give you a little perspective and insight on this amateur golfer who won Grand Slam and was just phenomenal, amazing, called Atlanta, Georgia home. Uh, Margaret Mitchell, uh, gone with the wind fame, buried right there in Oakland Cemetery. Maynard Jackson, the one half of the namesake of our airport and mayor of our city for many, many years, great leader in Atlanta, is buried at Oakland Cemetery. So you can see these graves of famous people, but then you just see tons of people buried there, people from uh, long ago, decades and centuries back. And I was sitting there looking over the hills in Oakland Cemetery, praying about this talk, and it dawned on me how close people are buried together when they die. And I thought to myself, we all die together. This is what Psalm 90 says. We all take a last breath and then it's done. And when we're buried, we're all buried together, kind of scrunched up right next to each other. It's like, no, I was buried next to my husband or wife or in my family's plot. I know, but do you know who has the family plot next to your family plot or who has the family plot catty corner to that family plot? All of a sudden, a lot of us who may have been at odds in life are all buried side by side. And I started praying, sitting in there thinking about this message. We all die together and we're buried close together. Is it possible that in life we can move closer to understand each other and we can be agents of change to bring more unity into the world on this journey than more division in the world on this journey? If the answer to that question depended on me, will we be more divided or more united at the end of this trip? In other words, could I invest my life this year in creating the common good? Could I invest some of my time this year working for the welfare of all people on planet Earth? Could I see myself this year as a peacemaker? When Shane Kimbrough was here, he showed a picture that he'd taken from the International Space Station. It was a photograph of, of the Earth with a really beautiful view of the ozone layer. And Shane Kimbrough said that one of, if not the thing that stunned him most when he was in space was how fragile the planet is. And he said, look at that. That's our entire atmosphere in that tiny, thin line. He said, it's the difference between life and death on planet Earth. And then he began to realize how fragile this planet is and how fragile life is. It made me think when he was talking and I was sitting on the other side of the table, in my mind, I said, one of the things I'm going to write in my trip guide for this trip around the sun is I want to get more serious about recycling this year. I love it. So far, one guy clapped for Bobby Jones, and I got a half of a whoop for that. I feel you're helping me a lot, though. You're really encouraging me that I've picked the right talk and that all my prayer and effort and energy and belief and expectation and faith in God is going to pay off today. So thank you for that. But I just thought, I'm like some of you, I, I, I like recycling. I believe in recycling, but sometimes it's easier just to throw it all in one bag and take it out to the trash. Is it not? Am I the only one doing that, apparently? Hello? But I thought, when I saw that 
little fragile difference between life and death. I said, I think I can take the extra step to do better at recycling this year and respecting this planet that we're living on. It's a fragile planet. But listen, the planet's not the only thing fragile. Humanity on the planet is fragile. And we've got to ask God to make us peacemakers in this year. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to all come to the end of our trip this year, and it's going to be amazing because everybody on planet Earth, all seven plus billion of us, are going to agree on everything at the end of this journey. Not going to happen. Your extended family goes to Destin for a week. You don't even agree on everything. And after four or five days, you can't pick a subject to talk about at the dinner at the restaurant that you couldn't agree on either as you headed out to dinner that night. This is part of human nature is that we're all going to see things different ways. But is it just going to be an obvious conclusion that the world's going to be more divided at the end of this trip? Or is it possible, is it even possible that we could be more united at the end of this trip. And that's what I'm aiming at tonight. I get the tension, and there will be tension all the way through this talk tonight. And we can't resolve all that tension tonight. But we can change our tone. I I understand the world. I, I personally, just talking for me personally right now, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. When I say that, I don't mean I simply believe he existed, but I believe that what he said and taught about himself is true. I believe that when Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man came to the Father but through him, it made sense because every other religious system that I had seen was encouraging me that I could jump all the way to heaven. We talked about this last night at Winter Weekend, but there's one story where the God of the universe jumped all the way from heaven onto planet Earth and did what none of us could do to make a way for us to have peace with God. So I believe about Jesus. I'm just talking about me personally, not about what you necessarily believe. I believe that what he taught is true, and I believe that what he taught is a way to life, and I believe what he taught and what he did in his life, his death and his burial and his resurrection saved my life, forgave my debt, put me into a right relationship with God, and changed every, listen, every single thing about what I think and how I see this world. And I'll tell you more about what I believe personally. I believe Jesus believed that about all people. I believe that Jesus taught that it was a good plan for me to take this story of his grace, goodness, and love to every single person on planet Earth. In fact, that was what he commissioned me to do when he was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. He said, I will be with you even till the ends of the age. Take this message here there and everywhere in the power of the Spirit. So that's my deepest held belief. It changed my life. But when I say that, I'm distinguishing myself from billions of other people on this planet that I'm on this journey with. Because it is not a solo trip. We are all going to go together. And so the question isn't, do I have deeply held beliefs? The question is, what is my tone going to be? The question is, what is my approach going to be? The question is, what is my method going to be as I live out my life? Because this is us. 
You can't change it. It's who we are. And so I want to back down one step, and I want to talk about the this is us inside the this is us. Because the beauty of today is I think we've got an opportunity that's better than everyone else's opportunity on planet Earth. I think we've got a shot at a medal here on our trip around the sun in terms of being agents of peace and a unifying factor in our city and in this world because we've got a this is us inside the this is us. And the this is us inside the this is us, you follow me, is that we all came tonight into this place under one name, and that's the name of Jesus. We came as the sons and daughters of God Almighty under one great name tonight in this place. Now, that doesn't mean that we all agree. So we've got to work out our challenges and our differences somehow in the power that Christ affords us tonight. Because here's the reality. We got people sitting in the room who don't agree with you in terms of some of your deep, deeply held values and beliefs. I mean, in the bigger this is us, people disagree with you about ideology, about religion, about about culture, about engagement, about politics. But even in this room, there are people of differing opinions. I thought it'd be a terrible idea, but I thought, what if we just took a survey? What if we just like one night just said, hey, I just for a show of hands here, um, and maybe we do it right now, um, just so we could just see who we are in the room right now and get a hold of the this is us right now. What if I ask, okay, so if you supported, um, did you feel the tension just rise? Did you feel the tension just rise right there? That's what I'm talking about. You're like, no, go ahead and do it. I dare you. I want you to do it. I, I don't know, even know what you were going to do. Just do it because I'm ready to tweet right now. So just go ahead and go for it. You see, it's possible that we came here under the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus to gather as a family. We sang songs of worship together. We've been welcomed together. We've We've met people we didn't know. We've hugged each other and shaken hands, and we've been encouraged around our giving, and now we've opened up God's Word together, and it's possible that there's someone sitting shoulder to shoulder with you who voted for someone that you despise, and you think you know which candidate I'm talking about when I just said that. We are divided on a lot of things, and yet there's something more powerful that unites us, and the something more powerful that unites us gives us the possibility to be agents of change and to be peacemakers in the city and in this world. We have rallied around an axiom that this is us inside that this is us. The followers of Jesus inside that this is us have rallied around an axiom. It goes something like this. The enemy divides, but Christ unites. The enemy is the author of division. In fact, wherever there's division, you know the enemy is at work in that place. Now, are you saying, oh, Louis, what are you teaching us? So there's like a, somebody in a, in a devil costume behind every bush and around every corner? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying if there's division and things are being torn apart, you can bet the real enemy who's not in a devil costume but is very real and has been identified to us all through Scripture and by our Lord Jesus Christ that he is in the middle of any place in your life where there is division right now. And he is a great 
divider. He is the great divider. And don't underestimate him. God scooped man out of the dust and breathed into him the breath of life and invited him to walk with Almighty God in paradise and gave him stewardship over everything God had made. And in a fraction of time, the created ones and the creator God had split ways and had divorced in the great divorce. And if the enemy who was lying on that day and is still lying on this day can separate man from his creator in paradise, trust me, he can break your marriage up. He can split up your relationship between you and your parents, or you and your sister, or you and your brother, or you and your best friend, or you and your college roommate, or you and that person who've been through so much life together and done so much for each other and thought you were going to be inseparable BFFs for all of your lifetime. He can get in the middle of anything. People who are workers in the same mission, co-workers in the same cause, people who are called to the same objectives, he can get in anything and divide anything if we let him. He divides families, he divides organizations, he divides churches for crying out loud. He divides races. He tries to divide us based on where we live in the city. He tries to divide us based on our socioeconomic standing in life. He tries to get in anywhere and everywhere he can, and he'll get in your own mind and divide you if you let him. He's the great divider, but our axiom doesn't stop there. Christ is the great uniter. In fact, Christ is the ultimate peacemaker for humanity. That's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what it says, for he, Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh, that's in the body of Jesus Christ, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came, Jesus, and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit." So in our darkest hour, you and me, Christ came to be the ultimate peacemaker and through the cross, he made peace with God for you and me. And through that same cross, I believe, is the real hope of us having peace with one another inside that this is us and in the greater this is us because of what God changed in the this is us when he made us into one new man in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have distinctives. It doesn't mean that we're not from different places. It doesn't mean that, that we don't have a different skin color or different backgrounds or different family histories. It doesn't mean that we're not who we are. It just means that Christ has done something greater. He didn't just give us a certificate to get into heaven. He actually brought us back to life as brand new creation, sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And he's saying, that's the lens or 
the perspective that I need you to have on this trip, that you're a new creation in Jesus Christ because he was an ultimate peacemaker where the enemy divided, Christ came and united us back to God. And that same cross unites us or has the potential to unite us to each other. Listen to the way Paul describes it in the culture of his day, which wasn't what it needed to be. A lot of people didn't have the rights that should have been afforded to them in the time frame that Paul was writing, but he was writing about the potential, listen, the potential power of the internal revolution of the gospel to ultimately overwhelm all of the injustice in the system of the world. And he talks about it in these terms. He says in Galatians 3, verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, he's speaking specifically into a culture where women didn't have the same rights afforded to men. And he said, oh, it's not that way in the kingdom of God. A woman has the exact same opportunity by faith in the kingdom of God to become every single thing that a man can become in the kingdom of God. Because when Christ made peace through his cross, that peace was equal, whether you are our boss or servant, whether you are a Jew or a Greek, whether you are male or female, guess what? We are all on even ground at the foot of the cross, valued, called, invited, saved, anointed, blessed by God to become fully who God has made us to be. He says it another way in Colossians chapter 2. Same idea, just coming around a different angle. And this is what he writes. He says, so don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed. So there's a process happening to me today in knowledge in the image of its creator. In other words, I'm not just moving on my trip around the sun this year going, I'm so-and-so, I'm from so-and-so, I grew up on this street, I grew up in this house, I grew up with this family, I grew up with these values, I grew up with this kind of understanding, so that's who I am and that's how I do my life. No, I was who I was, but now I've been made alive by the peace of the cross of Jesus Christ and I'm a brand new creation in Jesus Christ and I am constantly putting on the new man and constantly being renewed in my knowledge into the very likeness of my God. I'm on a trip around the sun being changed into the very likeness of Jesus. This is my perspective as I step into the tension of what it means to be on a trip with the this is us. And that's got to be the perspective of the this is us inside the this is us that we are putting on Christ. The big question for us is going to be this today. Have you put on the new self? Or are you on the trip still the old you? Because I'm convinced what I know about me, and I am so far from being what Christ wants me to be, I've got so much transforming to do into the image and likeness of Christ And I know what's true about me, and if what's true about me is true about you, there's no shot that we're going to be 
more united at the end of this trip. This message seems like it would just simply fall by the wayside and be pie in the sky. But if we are putting on Christ, then we've got a powerful potential to be distinctive and to be difference makers in this world. So what does that look like? I think it looks like a few goals that we might set And maybe one of these you would write in your travel guide because it's time for us to start writing some stuff down in our travel guide. It's the 18th of February. We we didn't rush into New Year's resolutions, but you got to have something written down by now somewhere saying, God, this is what I believe you're speaking that you want to realize in my life this year. And I believe a few of these things, maybe one of them would be on that list. So how, with this new reality of Christ, do we navigate this trip into this is us, the bigger this is us? Number one... We have to start with human dignity, and we have to offer that to every single person on this planet. What what do you mean by that? Because, you know, those words, anybody can co-opt those words. What do you mean when you say human dignity? We got to start with human dignity. We got to respect human dignity. What I mean by that is Colossians 1.16, where the word of God says, all things were made by him and for him. That means everybody on this trip was made by God and for God. And that has to be my starting point with every single person I meet. You are valuable because you were made by and for God. In the same image and likeness I was created, you were created. And we both share in that dignity of the Imago Dei, the image of God that is in every single one of us. You can agree to disagree, and you're going to have to on this trip. But you cannot take a step towards any resolution unless you see the person on the other side of the conversation as someone who is valuable in the eyes of Almighty God, who was made in the image and likeness of God, and who deserves the respect of that dignity and that sanctity of the image of God. There's a dictator in the world right now who's flexing his might, parading all of his power, uh, breaking all international protocol, antagonizing people, looks like he wants to exterminate civilization, threatening to blow things up and blow people up, agitating, and everybody knows the story. In fact, I don't ever even have to name whom I'm talking about. But I was thinking about it in these terms, sitting at the Oakland Cemetery. I was thinking about this is us inside the this is us, and I was thinking about how I know that I didn't deserve a chance with God, but Christ came and made peace with me through the cross. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I I, I did nothing to help that process along. In fact, I'm the, the reason why there had to be a process in the first place. Amen? And I was sitting there thinking about that and thinking about different situations and different places where there's tension in life right now, and certainly this would be a global tension spot right now. And I started thinking for some reason about this particular ruler. And I thought to myself, I, I, would, I would expect that this is us to act one way, but we're down in the this is us down here, and we've got a whole new thing going on. 
And I don't mean that we need to turn our back on threats to humanity by any stretch of the imagination. I just wondered a question that I'll pose and posit to you tonight. I wondered how many people in the this is us, inside the this is us, have one time in their lifetime seen that ruler as someone created by and for Almighty God. And said, we may disagree 1,000% on whether we want peace or whether we want war. But you are a person of dignity because you're a human being. And while we may disagree and who knows what consequences may come from actions, I've got the ability and the power and the access to Almighty God. And I'm going to pray for you. I guessed, I just took a guess, that the answer was less than 1% of the people in the this is us, inside the this is us, who've ever offered one prayer for a person who potentially could start a catastrophic conflict on this planet. And then I thought about it. Why pray when I can just... Tweet my opinion. And I think the beginning point and the deciding point probably between more division or more understanding, not believing that we're all going to agree on everything at the end of our trip, is whether or not we can see people as human beings and we can understand the precious gift that is in every one of us called the image of Almighty God. The second thing, we okay so far? Things got kind of quiet during point one. But the second thing I want to encourage us to think about this year on this trip is that we would seek to understand. Shane took another image that he showed us last week, and some of these went by kind of quickly, but I remembered them later in the week. He took this image of uh, this particular part of the world, uh, the Middle East, and I just remember looking over my shoulder and seeing it on the screen and thinking for a moment, my goodness, that's probably the most tension-filled area of the entire world. But I don't see a rocket installation. I don't see a barbed wire fence. I don't see animosity. I don't see anything. I don't even see nations. I don't see anything except for God's creation. And I think it just helps us remember that we're, we're on a planet together. And somehow, maybe for some of us this year, the best thing we can do to be peacemakers is to seek to understand. Now, even in saying that, some of you are like, Louis, I don't need to understand. I already know what I think about everything. And that's the point. If you were on a solo trip, you'd be doing fine. I'm the captain of my ship. I'm driving earth around the sun. It's me and the seven people I invited, and any one of them can get catapulted off the planet at my beck and call, and it's working out just fine. But see, the problem is you already know what you think, but how many of us understand what the other person thinks? You're like, well, it's not going to change my mind. Well, I'm pretty confident at this stage of my life 
because I've had a lot of conversations with people who believe different viewpoints on uh, faith than I do. I'm, I'm pretty certain that I'm not going to have a conversation with somebody anywhere on planet Earth, and I've talked to people on every continent on Earth where people live. That at the end of that conversation, I'm going to go, oh my goodness, I was completely wrong about Christ. I got it wrong the whole time. I do not want to follow Jesus. I do not think that his grace and mercy was unique in the story of religion on earth. I don't see that happening. But it helps me to understand where other people are coming from. I'll tell you why. Because it opens up a conversation, and conversations help the process of us unifying with each other. And if you can't have a conversation, then there's not going to be much of a chance for us on this journey together. So I want to encourage us to seek to understand. We said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of what? A heart of oratory skill so that we can present our argument and absolutely bury people. Teach me to number my days so that I will be more bold and confident that I'm right about everything that I think. No, teach me to number my days. Give me a glimpse of perspective so that I can gain wisdom. And I believe wisdom is something that all of us can put up at the top of our priority list this year. I would invite you maybe as an act of trust and a supernatural God to invite someone you disagree with in your neighborhood or in your family or in your business or your school, invite them to lunch this year and just say to them, you know what, you and I see this completely different. Could could you just talk over lunch today and help me understand your point of view? And I'm not here to rebut, I'm not here to fight back, I'm not here to start a war. I just want to understand, if I can, a little bit more of what you're thinking. I know how important that is for all of us. In our city, at times, um, we, we get flashpoints in our city. I think we're a, a great model city, probably, of, of the diversity and of people working side by side for common goals and living together. But even in Atlanta, Georgia, there, there's tension points and as, as a white person who grew up in Atlanta, there's no way that I can ever fully understand what minority culture is like. And so if I just, like, you know, dismiss that and say, well, I didn't own any slaves, and I, 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 wasn't, I didn't bomb any churches, that was somebody else, that wasn't me, that's, that's just an ignorant viewpoint on life. It's not opening ourselves up to the possibility that someone else has a viewpoint, a way of life, a lens that they didn't even ask for that's radically different than our lens. And if I really want to seek to understand, I've got to understand their side, their view. I've got to understand, what do you feel right now? And I just picked that issue. It's one of a hundred issues. But I just think sometimes... We, we want to get people who agree with us. We want to cloister together and say, it's easier just to hang around with people who agree with me, but we're in it together. This is us. And somehow we've got to strive to understand. One of my favorite breakfasts of, of, of the last few months was a breakfast in the middle of the height of Black Lives Matter when a lot of people that I was talking to were like just giving short little answers and categorical things. And, 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 and I've said it before, but little tweet-sized answers to a giant chasm that has torn this nation apart. And I thought, man, this is not the way of the this is us inside the this is us. And I remember going to breakfast with a friend of mine who is a person from minority culture, but 
you know, is a whole lot smarter, smarter than me, one of the most educated people I've ever met, managing, running big things and leading big things in our city, but a person who had befriended me and we had a relationship, and I said, I just want to take advantage of that relationship, and I said, could we go to breakfast together? And we did, and we got there, and uh, he, he kind of looked up and he said, I asked my assistant sort of what was this breakfast about, and she said she didn't know. Your assistant didn't say what the breakfast was about, and I said, well, that's because it's not about anything. I just want to understand and so can you talk to me today and, and help me see life from your point of view? And for one hour, we sat at breakfast. I bet I said 20 words. I'm not looking for a medal, by the way. I bet I said 20 words, and I just tried to listen. That this is us inside that this is us are a people who want to seek to understand Big issues are not simple. Um, I'm, I'm contacting my senator, um, our representatives, because time's running out on the DACA extension. And I'm just, I'll just raise attention a little bit for me in the room, or from my point of view. I, I think that people who came to this country, the children of people who immigrated illegally to this country, but who were trying to go to school, get an education, get a job, contribute to America, be a part of a new future, join us in America. 800,000 of them have registered for DACA protection and benefit. It's got to be time that we lift the cloud off of their shoulders, those of them who want to pursue a life in this country. But hello, I think that almost everybody agrees with that. But it's not simple. And so, again, if I can, you just can't tweet a tweet. I don't believe we should send anybody home. Well, I, no one in the this is us inside that this is us would believe we should send anybody home because all of us got grace and mercy from God that we did not deserve. All of us are in a situation of grace that's transforming us and changing us. But it's complicated. It's so complicated that if you ask the average person, what does DACA stand for? They don't even know. Don't know. That's an acronym, but I don't know what it stands for. They don't know the difference between a legislative action and an executive order. And they don't know what the impasse is. They don't know why the legislation introduced in 2001 through bipartisan channels. This isn't a Democratic thing or Republican thing. There have been Republicans and Democrats time and time and time and time and time and time again try to put forth path to citizenship legislation. It breaks down. So a president steps up in 2012 and says, we've got to circumvent the process somehow, and then Congress still can't figure it out. Here's the thing. It is complicated, and it is not easy. And yes, there are some big issues in it, like border security. Security, and that's a big issue because even the dreamers tonight are locking their door before they go to bed. Hello? Hello? But can we not find a way with the smartest men and women in America to find a pathway to citizenship that's fair to the families of those who legally immigrated to our country that we can all move forward and tackle bigger issues in our world. But if you sit down with the average person and say, talk about the Dreamer Act, talk about why it hasn't succeeded, talk about uh, some of the problems and the sticking points in the Dreamer Act, talk about uh, why development relief and education for alien minors, Dreamer Act, hasn't worked. Talk about what's not happening right about DACA 
Deferred action for childhood arrivers. Talk about some of the real issues. People are like, I don't know. I just know that personally I feel like X. And I'm like, A, get informed. B, read up on it. Knowledge is power. It always has been. And I believe when the scripture says it this way, the scripture is right on the money. It says, the one who has knowledge uses his words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered, Proverbs 17, 27. I love it in the King James. We don't quote it much here, but every now and then it just does the heart good. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. See, in America right now, people equate knowledge with volume. The longer I talk and the louder I talk, the writer I am. But have you been around that man or woman that just waits till everybody's blown all the air out that they had? And then they say those three sentences and you go, where'd she come from? Why is this person in the room? Because I'm telling you, in business settings, you watch it. In all kinds of settings, in family, the smartest person in the room usually is the person who says the least. But their words end up mattering the most. The third thing, combination with that, I would encourage us to do is to champion civility. The scripture says a quiet answer turns away wrath. It doesn't work every single time in every single circumstance, but you'd be surprised how many times it works because we're all loaded up and teed up with our assumptions. And a lot of times we just want somebody to provoke our assumption. And as soon as they do, there's a flashpoint. But a soft answer can turn away wrath. A soft answer can shift the tone. A smile and a soft answer can change the whole conversation. And this attitude that I'm not going to assume that I know what you're thinking I'm going to actually let you tell me what you're thinking before I react to what I thought you were thinking. We've got to break those assumptions and that this is us inside that this is us has got the best chance to do it. The two main assumptions, I hear them all the time because we'll get to a point of disagreement and somebody will say, well, I don't have anything in common with you. Have you heard that conversation ender? Well, that's enough of that because we don't have anything in common. Such an ignorant phrase. It's like, well, we're living on this earth together. We got that thin atmosphere in common. And if something happens to that, it doesn't matter what you and I think about what we're talking about right now because we're out of here. We're gone. We're both created in the image of Almighty God and in His likeness. We have that in common. We both were made by and for God. We have that in common. We both have access to God through Jesus Christ at our disposal. We have that in common. We both share probably a lot of things in common, like human trafficking and the 40-plus million people on planet Earth trapped in slavery. We both care about that, don't we? Okay, great. Then let's lock arms and let's do something about human trafficking together. Uh, We care about clean water on planet Earth and billions of people who don't have access to it. We've got that in common. We have the uh, welfare of the kids in our schools in common, and we owe them as adults to fix the situation so that they can get an education. We've all got that in common. We got the safety of our streets in Atlanta. We got the welfare of our city's economy. We've got a lot in common. And so for someone just to say, oh, you think that, and I think this, well, man, we don't have anything in common. And then the next assumption, usually, I don't have anything to say to you. It's like, well, 
you should think harder then. Because we have this shared treasure on this precious planet and we're on a trip together. This is us and none of us can change that. And so I know it sounds trite, but we're going to have to learn how to agree to disagree in a civil tone. And we're gonna have to lower our voices and potentially implode social media because it's erased all the margin and no big differences are ever fully understood unless there's enough margin on the edge for people to work through what they think. If we're on that razor's edge, that one word pushes you or me out of the conversation, then we are on a collision course to a more divided world this year. And so we've got to champion civility on this trip. Quickly, we've got to persuade in love and lifestyle. What do we mean by that? That this is us inside, that this is us. The word said about us, they will know we are Christians. How? Because we argue better than everybody else. They'll know we are Christians by our comments on everyone's blog. No, the scripture said they will know we are Jesus people because of our love one for another. He said, but what about the truth? The scripture says in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. Lead with lifestyle in love. And I want to encourage you this year to think about this question. If Atlanta looked at the this is us inside the this is us as a test case for the year, would we win them to Jesus at the end of our trip because of the way we loved each other and the way we loved them? I don't mind if somebody says, I disagree with you. I can't understand a life without it, especially when it comes to Auburn, Alabama football or just everybody else in Alabama football. I, I know in life people are going to disagree with me and I can deal with that. But what I don't want said about me in my lifetime is they didn't love me and care about me. Because I believe you can disagree with people and still love them and still lead with love and with a lifestyle that says, you be the judge of whether Jesus is the way. In 2016, really quickly, something amazing happened at Passion where you guys gave 800,000 plus dollars to build a maternity and neonatal hospital in Northern Syria. Who would do that? I actually had someone say to me, what a waste of time that was to build a hospital in a country where the leader of that own country doesn't respect the welfare of all of his people. What a waste of energy that was. 800 plus thousand dollars to build a hospital where you've got big powers in the world all working on an axiom, it seems like, to destroy this nation. 
cities are reduced to rubble. Refugee crisis is erupting right before the world's eyes. Children are being gassed to death. And the opportunity arose through an incredible partnership in two organizations to build a hospital where women and their babies could find shelter and hope. And I want to show you some pictures because that hospital got built. It exists right now. It is open for business and 5,000 women and children a month are treated in this hospital. The only place with some of the opportunity to be treated in the entire nation of Syria. And you know why we did that? Two reasons. Number one, because we could. We had 30,000 college students there and we said, if everybody kicks in, we can do this. And so we did because we could. The second reason we did is because we knew that we couldn't go and preach Jesus in northern Syria, but we certainly could lead with love and lifestyle. And we could say the same God that's moved our hearts is moving us to come and help you. I know the cynics out there, I have a tendency sometimes to fall into that line. Well, congratulations for building a hospital in Syria. Probably one of those babies getting born is going to go and do who knows what somewhere in the world, a peace-loving people one day. You would get credit for that. And I thought, man, how narrow-minded. How devoid of grace is that way of thinking? Do you realize that God gave every one of us that opportunity when we were born? Because every one of us, he knew the moment we were born, we were capable of a mini revolt against him that would potentially destroy our own lives and the lives of those around us. And he still said, I'm going to give you a chance to be born. A chance for grace to come into your story. And this is what it looks like to lead with love and a lifestyle. And then the last thing we'll close is I want to encourage us on this trip. Respect human dignity, seek to understand, champion civility, persuade others around you, not in your arguments, but in your love and your lifestyle. And number five, to work on your micro is if your micro was the macro. Most of us are not going to sit at the table where the conversations are going to happen. They're going to be changing big things in the world this year. But all of us have a relationship that's broken right now, do we not? And all of us have the opportunity to repair the breach on this trip around the sun. I wonder if we ask God, put in my travel guide this year the name of one person that I am at odds with right now, that there has been division with right now, that there's animosity with right now. And I want to make it my mission this year by the grace and power of God to seek the repair of that relationship on this trip around the sun. Again, not saying all consequences are gone, not saying we're going to go on vacation together every year, not saying we're going to get back in business together, not saying we're going to date again, but there's animosity there. I know it and they know it. And I want, as Romans 12, a great roadmap for the this is us inside the this is us, says in verse 18, as far as it depends on you, the scripture says, seek 
peace with all people. Don't cop out on what depends on them. Do what you can as it depends on you. And I wonder if there's a relationship. Think about it. There are thousands of people come through these doors today. That's thousands of relationships that potentially could be repaired this year. And if we saw our micro as the seedbed for changing the macro, now we've got it right. And so I just don't have an opinion about the macro and about them and what's wrong with them and what they should change. I'm saying, God, what about my heart? What do you want to change? What about my attitude, my unforgiveness, my judgmental spirit? What do you want to change in me? Is there something I can do to make peace with somebody this year? I want to do that because I want to end this trip around the sun less divided and more united. And I know right away where that division is in my relationships. And I want to be a person who can repair the breach and the power of God. I want to come to the foot of the cross, look up one more time, be amazed and stunned the fact that my sin is canceled and my debt was buried in that tomb. And I want to dig a hole at the foot of the cross of Jesus and bury the hatchet with my friend, with my family member, and say, as far as it depends on me, I want to live at peace with you on this trip around the sun. They may not answer your email, your letter, your phone call, your invitation to coffee. They may rebuff your apology. But as far as it depends on you, you could at least get half peace and you could get 100% resolution as you forgive and as you seek restoration in that relationship in this year. Isn't that an amazing thought? Because it's easier for me to keep it up on the global this is us level than to bring it down to the it's me and you. What can I do to humble myself, to count my days, to gain a heart of wisdom, to gain a new perspective, and to reach out an olive branch of peace to you? And say, as far as it depends on me, I want to make peace and not war. I want to reflect Jesus in this particular way. What a possibility. What a hope.